Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a wonderful returning guest. You've seen him on Mormonish before. It's our favorite masterpiece, Ron Jorgensen. How are you, Ron? Hey, doing very well. <laughs> you look dapper, as always. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, the pipe, the cravat, he's got it all. <laughs> and whenever you see Masterpiece here on Mormonish, you know that you are in for a really scholarly treat. Right, Landon? That's right. He's our uh, scholar who, whenever we need research done, we reach out to Masterpiece. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, and we said that we wanted to do something for Black History Month. And he said he'd kind of been working on something or posing some questions to himself. So we are really excited just to introduce Masterpiece, otherwise known as Ron. And why don't you tell us what you've been working on and what we're going to talk about tonight? So I had a interesting theory that I was thinking about that maybe because I knew slavery was a thing in Utah and Brigham imposed the slavery idea. Uh, and he and a lot of the members were from the North and they were very kind of anti-slavery. So I was thinking maybe since California had just come into the country as a, a free state, maybe for like the Missouri compromise type of idea, Brigham wanted to get Utah in as a state as well and thought maybe it would be easier as a slave state. So I, this is, this was kind of the thought process I was going through and I was kind of posing some questions to see if there's any validity to it. And then I found this great website, uh, with it was set up called uh, the topic is uh, this abominable slavery, and it's from a phrase by Parley Pratt, and this had all the uh, debates going on in the legislative session from 1852. It's, I've seen some parts of it with Brigham Young's talks that were just absolutely atrocious, and it was the the very first time that we hear the church uh, having a real sermon about. Uh, uh, the priesthood ban for black people. Um, and it was, I, I, but I, as I was going through this and I found that uh, that my ideas were completely wrong. Uh, we weren't trying to enter the country as a, as a slave state. And as slavery was practiced in the South, it was Brigham Young was very opposed to it. So there, there wasn't official slavery in Utah. Uh, they had servitude, but uh, when and when they tried again to go into its state or the nation as as a state in 1856, Brigham Young was very adamantly opposed to going in as a slave state. He didn't said he didn't believe in slavery and he didn't want Utah coming into the slave state. So, uh, but I was this is kind of a, a not very well understood part of Mormon history, and I had it all wrong. So I figured if I had it wrong, then. Everybody else has it wrong too, because you are not wrong, Ron. That's right. If you have it wrong, the rest of us don't even have a chance. So, and it takes a big scholar to say, you know what? I was totally off. I explored my theory, and I've arrived at another conclusion. So, you're you're awesome in that. So, I have uh, prepared some slides that we're going to go over the the discussed debates that were going on in the legislative session. I'll give you some background information. Uh, but uh, I guess this works now is a good time to start my presentation. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. And we should mention while you're pulling that up that uh, February is Black History Month. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that we wanted to cover this uh, topic. 
uh, was to kind of explore this. And we all know that there was the ban on uh, priesthood for the blacks uh, in Utah. Well, not in the church as a whole. So we wanted to explore this a little bit. Uh, what was the actual role and maybe how did that ban come about? All right. Um, so these are, these are the two main characters I'm going to be discussing. Uh, Orson Pratt and Brigham Young. We, we know a lot about Brigham Young. Uh, he was... The, the prophet, he was, he was one of the very first apostles that was called, took over, led all the saints after Joseph Smith died, led them all to Utah. And he built up Utah, as kind of built his own theocracy pretty much, uh, and instituted a lot of strange doctrine that the church has kind of pushed away from. Um, so since Brigham Young is pretty well known, I want to focus more on Orson Pratt. Uh, he was also one of the very first apostles. He, along with uh, Parley Pratt, and I often get him confused with Orson Hyde because they have very first names and, and very similar backgrounds with polygamy with Joseph Smith trying to marry their wives. Uh, Orson was married to Sarah Pratt, who is actually uh, the sister of one of my ancestors. So I'm a little bit related to uh, to through, to the um, uh, on the, the Bates side. She was uh, Sarah Bates, and that's on my mom's side. So uh, while Orson was off on a mission, Joseph Smith proposes to Sarah, and she turns him down, and there's some arguments there when she tells him, if you keep proposing, when, uh, when my husband comes back, I'm going to tell him. And, and I guess when Orson came back and Joseph Smith again, made an advance on her and she told her husband and uh, Orson went kind of ballistic for a little while. He kind of went off in the woods and they thought he was suicidal, uh, came back and he was fine. But uh, for about six months, he was kind of out of the church, kind of not quite there. And finally he decided he was going to solidify and, and stay, stay in the church. Uh, and then he started practicing polygamy and and Sarah eventually did not like that. And it was when he married in their like older age, he married a teenager and then she's like, that's it. I'm, I'm gone. And then she started off on her own anti-polygamy crusade after that. Um, but Orson, so I, I kind of had mixed feelings about Orson. He, he had some really interesting uh, things that he would do. He, he was a scientist, at least he imagined himself as such. And he would go off on these really weird theological debates or ideas with with mormonism and and brigham young didn't like some of his ideas and they were often arguing and it odds all throughout uh, their lives uh go into uh orson was sent off to dc he started publishing the seer uh, periodical to kind of uh get the idea and kind of explain polygamy and, and mormonism ideas and at the state uh, nation's capital and then went off again to New York, to London to do that for another year. But uh, Brigham didn't like a lot of the things that he was publishing this year. And when he came back, he made him apologize to the quorum for the things he was publishing because it was, this is not real doctrine. And so there's there's some really interesting things that he would talk about in this year that we probably don't go into this time. But um, but uh, throughout their life, their, uh, Orson and Brigham were very much at odds with theology. And we're going to see that coming again today because 
Orson Pratt was very, very uh, pro-equality in, in all manners. He wanted uh, Black people, Indian people to have full freedom and voting rights. And Brigham Young, that that just did not set well with Brigham at all. Uh, so we will see uh, some of Brigham's sermon uh, uh, talks to the legislature and then Orson's rebuttals and then Brigham's responses to those. And, and uh, that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. But yeah, if, this, uh, if I was going to say, this is so interesting because I believe in the Salt Lake Tribune last month or the month before they did publish an article about the debates and some excerpts. So I think that people are already kind of getting to be more aware of this, this period of history that we perhaps knew nothing about. So I'm excited that we're going to have the chance to dig deeper into this. And I'll link that Tribune article in the show notes because I think it's a nice overview. And, and now we're going to dig a little deeper. And uh, let's see. So in Utah in 1849, Brigham Young wanted to claim as much territory as possible. So this uh, is a map of what he was wanted to do for the state of Deseret. So we have all the way going, all of Nevada, going up into Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, California, all the way down to like Los Angeles area and San Diego. He wanted all of this to be part of his domain. And for some reason, the, uh, the U.S. government did not like that idea. Uh, when they finally... When California was made a state, uh, they also made Utah a territory at the same time. And they took a big chunk of that out. And this was the Utah Territory. So they still have most of Nevada, a little bit of Wyoming and Colorado. Uh, but they, they actually kind of cut off the bottom of what Utah is now. Um, at least I, I assume that's... What they're, they, yeah, they, and, they, and they didn't get Vegas, it looks like. So, yeah, Sin City. <laughs> and when they when they made this agreement in 1850, they it's, they reserved the right to carve this up into smaller pieces. Still, as time went on, and over the next uh, 40 years, it got chunked down smaller and smaller until we have today. Um. But uh, most of these notes that I'm actually pretty much everything that I've got is coming from uh, this website that's been put up at the uh, University of Utah, uh, put together by W. Paul Reeve, Christopher B. Rich Jr., and Lejean Purcell Carruth. And I probably slaughtered these names, and if so, I apologize to those people. Um, but uh, when I first published my, posted my theory on the, the Mormon Historians Facebook group, uh, Lejean actually popped in there and, and started explaining a little bit of things and pointing me to this website. And, and I've gotten to learn a little bit more about what she's done. She's a Pittman shorthand expert. She has gone through which they've found these uh, debates that had not been transcribed. That most of them were all done by uh, uh, Watt, uh, let's see what was I think I had his name on here somewhere. Uh, George Watt. So he was the same guy that was capturing all of the uh, the Journal of Discourses with his shorthand, and uh, uh, Lejean has gone through and been correcting a lot of those things and reanalyzing his shorthand. So he would he would write everything down in shorthand, and then he would uh, transcribe them into longhand, and sometimes he was a little. Uh, 
adventurous with his longhand recreations. So he wasn't always strictly to the book of what he had written down. Um, but he was kind of filling things in and fixing things up and kind of making the, the talk smooth flow a little bit better. And I assume with Brigham Young, he was pulling out all the curse words for uh, the stuff that would show up in the Journal of Discourses, because I know Brigham likes to swear a bit when he's talking. Uh, we, we have a few of them in these sermon in these uh, talks here. Um, but yeah, so th these are uh, discussions that were not available uh, as of not too long ago. So these were all just kind of recently captured. They are publishing a book that's going to be putting coming out later this year called This Abominable Slavery. Uh, so right now, the, this information is available on this web page, which we will have to put in the show notes. But uh, I'm excited to see what this book uh, that they're writing comes out with. It'll have a lot more context and uh, back information for backstory of what's going on. So I'm looking forward to that book. Do you know when that's coming out? Um, later this year. Oh, I don't know. I don't have a date, no, that's great. It's, it's coming that's really good. Yeah. So they've just made had they've just been made a territory. They've got their first legislature put together, and this is their first legislative session. And as they're going through, they're they're kind of going through the first stuff is just kind of making these cities and and trying to establish all the, the boring stuff, all the stuff that you need to do to to make things work in the territory. Um, Orson Pratt was voting against a lot of these new towns being made because when they're coming up that they weren't going to allow slave uh, voting for black people. And so he was voting against anything where people didn't have full uh, equality. So that was, that's kind of an interesting approach that he took. So even before they had the, uh, came up to the idea of, of slavery, he was trying to uh, stomp it out in his, in, in his voting. But uh, so there was a man who was arrested in the fall of 1851, and he had some uh, Indians that he had in his possession, uh, and he had a, a permit to trade with the Indians from his state in, I think, New Mexico or the state that he was coming from, uh, but it was not valid in Utah where Brigham Young was in charge of the Indian Affairs. And Brigham refused to grant him a license to trade with the Indians because he knew he was going to take the Indians, uh, slaves that he purchased, and take them back out of the state. And that was something that uh, Brigham Young did not agree with. Um, so then we have a, a big, he was arrested in a big court case. I think the, uh, the Indians were given back to the the government and they set them up free or found homes for them. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what happened to him. Um, but George A. Smith, who is, I believe he was the uncle of Joseph Smith. Uh, he was the lawyer defending Don Pedro and George will see him a little bit later at the end. Uh, he was a big proponent of slavery. So he was happy to defend Don Pedro here. So these uh, these ideas are coming up. They they have problems where uh, the Indians in this area are conquering other tribes, rival groups, and they're taking women and children as 
it's slaves that they are going to either trade if they can find someone to trade them for them or buy them or and if they don't if they don't have a use for them they would just slaughter them so they come to the mormons and say hey do you want to buy these indians and they're like no we don't want to have servants or slaves or whatever like okay well i'm just gonna and they just kill the boy right there and then they say it's your fault because you refuse to to buy him so this kind of idea is is it's it's heart pulls the heartstrings of the mormons they they, they care for these mormons these indians they want to take care of them they don't want them slaughtered uh so they're kind of pressured into this idea of of buying these indians uh from these other tribes. Let's see. So these, this is kind of forcing the, the issue because uh, we, we've got some families that have brought slaves with them from uh, Illinois and Missouri, where they've come from. Uh, there's not a whole lot there, uh, but we, we have a few. But they're, they're, we just need to find some kind of idea of how to handle these situations. Uh, so we're not going to. There's there's a lot of text in some of these things. Uh, we'll we'll be reading the ones with parts with uh, italicies, so we can kind of pick out the most important ones. But if we if we if we're not going to hit everything, so you can pause and read it yourself or so on your own as we as we go through these slides. Uh, Landon, do you want to start this off? This is the opening remarks to the legislative session for for these issues. So Brigham kind of gives his thoughts on the matter. My own feelings are that no property can or should be recognized as existing in slaves, either Indian or African. No person can purchase them without their becoming as free so far as natural rights are concerned as persons of any other color. Under the present low and degraded situation of the Indian race, so long as the practice of gambling away, selling, and otherwise disposing of their children, as also sacrificing prisoners obtains among them, it seems indeed that any transfer would be to them a relief and a benefit. Many a life by this means is saved, many a child redeemed from the thraldom of savage barbarity and placed upon an equal footing with the more favored portions of the human race. Thus will a people be redeemed from servile bondage, both mental and physical, and placed upon a platform upon which they can build and extend forth as far as their capability and natural rights will permit. Their thraldom will no longer exist, although the seed of Canaan will inevitably carry the curse which was placed upon them until the same authority which placed it there shall see proper to have it removed. So, well... They're not going to have slavery in Utah. They're pushing for servitude instead. They're kind of going kind of a middle ground uh, where you can be a, an indentured servant for a period of time. I think they go for 20 years. And then after the 20 years is up, you are now a free person. So they want to have, uh, they, they, Brigham sees these, has this white savior complex. He wants, he sees the white people as masters, benevolent masters who can teach these uh, poor Indians and, and black people how, how to be better people, how to, how to live. And, and he wants, to, he, th he thinks that the, they'll have better lives as servants with the Mormons than they would somewhere else being slaves somewhere else. <clears throat> and he thinks this is their natural state as, as servants 
but not necessarily slaves. So thus, while servitude may and should exist, and that too upon those who are naturally designed to occupy the position of servant of servants, yet we should not fall into the other extreme and make them as beasts of the field, regarding not the humanity which attaches to the colored race, nor yet to elevate them as seem, some seems deposed, disposed to an equality with those whom nature and nature's God has indicated to be their masters, their superiors. So again, it's this idea that white people are the proper masters. These guys are the proper servants, but we don't want to treat them as beasts of the field. We don't want to beat them and, and just be really cruel to them. So we need to, to be nice to them as, and educate them a little bit so they can be uh, fit better into the humanity. Uh, so it's 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 painful to to read through some of these, and some of these are are, are just ugly. But this this is the state of Brigham's mind, and and a lot of uh, ideas that he's trying to push here. Um, uh, Rebecca, do you want to read through some of the, the mm -hmm. italicized parts there? All right, what am I reading here? Just more of Brigham Young's thoughts on proposed yeah. This is still this is still the same. Sermon, the same talk. Uh, we're still in the same one. I've, I've kind of pulled out some sections from uh, from the talk that I thought were most useful. Okay. Um, he says, I have this section in my hand. In reading it over, I made a little alteration in it. In the first place, with regard to slavery, inasmuch as I believe in the Bible, inasmuch as I believe in the ordinances of God and in the priesthood order of God, I believe in slavery. Just as far as this act is concerned, we believe in making this African creature amenable to certain laws. In their freedom, they have subjected themselves to cursing. In their families, in their classes, and in their various capacities, they have brought curses upon themselves. And until the curse is removed by him who had put on the curse on this class, I am not authorized to remove it. I am a firm believer in slavery. I think this is reasonable according to the revelations. Boy, this this stuff is rough. <laughs> yes, it's hard to read, and this is right from Brigham's. Uh, this is his speech. This is what he was saying. Yeah, this I guess this is the second one. The first one is on January fifth. Mm -hmm. So this is after they've had a time to uh, put together kind of a, a proposal. So he, he's got the he's got it in his hand. He's looked it over. He's made some changes to it. Uh, but this is kind of where he's he's telling him he's they they need to go. So he's like, this isn't quite where I want it to go. Uh, so he's giving another talk to help, kind of help him along the way. And he finishes here, as far as the comforts of salvation, light, truth, enjoyment, and understanding are concerned, the blacks have the same privilege as the white men, except they cannot hold the priesthood. So he thinks as long as these black people are here, we, we can do more for them. We're, we can give them baptism. We can give them the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we can do great things for the black people. Uh, we just don't give them the priesthood and we, we don't give them any kind of leadership or anything like that. So is this the first mention, sorry, is this the first mention then in 1950, sorry, 1852, that they would not receive the priesthood? Is this the first time he said it out loud? Um, there's some other, uh, this is the first time it's come up in an official place. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what I meant. This is the first time he's sort of with authority saying this. 
So, but there were there were ideas of this kind of being passed around before then. Uh, Gunnison put out a book called The Mormons uh, just the year before, and he was hanging out with uh, Carrington. I've forgotten his first name. He was an apostle that got busted for adultery. Uh, oh, but he, he was helping uh, Gunnison with this book and was telling him that. Black people cannot hold the priesthood. So this is this was 1851, 1850, 1851, that uh, he was helping Gunnison with his with his book. Albert Carrington, I think that's what it was. Is yeah, it the apostle that, that had the affair for ten years before he was removed? Uh, he he was a mission president in England and having affairs with women over there, and uh, after word got back to the Q15 in, in Utah and things were kind of leaking out that they kind of had to put a stop to it. And he insisted he was just a, guilty of a little folly of Israel be, in Israel because he only went in like four inches and he he would pull out and he wouldn't release his him, his semen in, in the woman. Uh, so it didn't really count as oh, full of things people do. Yeah. Oh my he, God. He would have gotten real long really well with the people in, in BYU as they're trying to find all sorts of yeah. workarounds. Uh, workarounds. The workarounds there, yeah. that people are oh my gosh. That's a whole nother episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I I think it's interesting that he says that they have the same privilege as white men, except they can't hold the priesthood. But without the priesthood, they can't hold any callings. They can't do the, right. any temple work. They can't be sealed as a family. Uh, it seems like uh, not quite the same privilege. So what privileges do they mean exactly? Yeah. They've pretty much taken yeah. everything from them. Exactly. He, he probably should have said they have the same privilege as white women, but not even that because yeah. they they can't even be sealed uh, with their family. So it's... yeah. He he, say, he says it's as far as the comforts of salvation. So, as far as getting into the celestial kingdom, they can they can all get there, I guess. As they just can't have the priesthood. But uh, yeah, they they definitely don't have a, a role of any kind of leadership or anything else like that. Hmm. So this is the second part on that same talk. It says though. Uh, the oh, this is he's got a really weird uh, take on this here. Um, he's trying to equate everybody as being in some kind of form of slavery on the earth because we're all we're all working and we have to do stuff to keep ourselves alive or whatever. So in, in that way, we're all we're all kind of in the same position. And and even in England, they've abolished slavery. Well, I'll read it though. Uh, though the enlightened nation England has abolished slavery. Yet the most damnable slavery exists there. And you cannot die here from starvation in the midst of plenty. Uh, find a black man or woman in the U.S. that has traveled through the period of his or her life in hunger in the midst of plenty. Yet there are millions of them in the cities of Europe who have lived close by the luxuries of life and yet die with starvation. That is a meaner slavery than to set them to work growing cotton. So in England, there's no slavery, but there's not enough food uh, at least there's a lot of poor people there and they so there's really rich people there and there's plenty of uh stuff for for them but the the poor people are are dying in this of starvation um so that it's even worse he's saying that's even worse than, than slavery because people mm -hmm. cannot uh just just kind of the the disparity between the wealthy and the poor there 
So that's his justification. <laughs> yeah, so better than what's happening in Europe. Okay. It, it's better to be a slave in the U.S. where we will feed you and take care of you than it is to die of starvation and poverty in Europe. Hmm. So we're, we're totally better or whatever. Yeah, so much better. Uh, Landon, do you want to read this? This is still the same uh, lecture there on January Many brethren in the South have means vested in slaves. Those of their servants want to come here but when they come here, the devil is raised. This one talking, that one talking, and a strong abolitionist feeling prevails with some people whispering, etc., saying, do you think it's right? I'm afraid it is not right. I know it is right. There should be a law made to have the slaves serve their masters because they are not capable of ruling themselves. I would like masters to treat well their servants and to see that every person of uh, in the territory is well used. When a master has a Negro and uses him well, he is better off than if he was free. You will find they are far better off here to be. As for masters knocking down and breaking the legs of their servants, I have as little opinion of that as anybody. But good, wholesome certitude, servitude, I know nothing better than that. That's wow, a... good, good, wholesome servitude. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Christ, this, this is just so hard to read this is oh my goodness i i know nothing better than that wow uh i, I i'm guessing he didn't enter servitude no. uh no yeah uh the first paragraph is like well when people come in here with slaves the other other mormons will start back by it start gossiping and like they have slaves is that right like no that's not right that can't be right but Brigham comes in and says, I know it is right. And there should be made a law to have slaves serve their masters because they are not capable. And yeah, it's it's hard. And that's this is Brigham's view of the world. Yeah, and I have to say that rhetoric still existed into the 20th century with ideas that in the pre-existence, you know, certain people were not capable or you know we're not worthy or or not um able you know the same kind of rhetoric existed within the church yeah all right now a breath of fresh air we have orson pratt come in and he's listen he's listened to brigham's arguments and and he comes back and and I, I love Orson's statements here. Uh, there may be a curse upon a people, and that when that curse is pronounced by the authority of the priesthood of the Almighty, unless he designates the individuals to inflict it, they come into condemnation if they inflict it. For example, if we take the first individuals that committed a crime, I will take Cain. The Lord cursed him with a mark, but he did not curse him to be to slavery, but he cursed him with a mark, and no doubt he had forfeited his life for disobeying the laws of God, the same as now, by slaying his brother. But, sir, were the brothers of Cain, those that were then numerous upon the earth, were they justified in stretching forth their hands to put Cain to death? The Lord said upon this subject, Whosoever slayeth Cain, my vengeance shall be sevenfold. So it's like, okay, there was a curse. But there's been lots of curses put on people, 
but just because God puts a curse on them doesn't mean we have a right to inflict the punishment. So we need, for us to have that right, uh, we would need revelation from God saying we have a right to inflict a punishment. Otherwise, if we're going to inflict our own punishments just because they were cursed, we're going to be punished as well. So he's warning us, like, hey, if you guys do this, you're bringing your own, doing it under your own condemnation. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to read this one? Let's see. Okay, this continues with Orson Pratt's rebuttal. This is the second part. And he says, um, here then we perceive that a curse may be put upon a man and by the authority of the Almighty. And if an individual undertakes to inflict that curse, the same man, without being commanded by the same individual that put the curse there, he exposes himself to vengeance. Some people carried out a similar reasoning that supposing that Noah, after having been intoxicating, was discovered naked in his tent by Ham. And as a result, God cursed Ham's son, Canaan, that they, Canaan, should serve Shem and Japheth. He did not command Shem to bind him down in servitude. They have taken that upon them to do this thing, to execute the curse of the Almighty upon the race without being commanded to do it, and they will have to be punished for rising up and inflicting this curse upon the descendants of Adam. So he's saying this is man-made. This isn't God. Man has decided to do this. Yes. And you're going to get it if you do it. So God may put a curse on you, but if you're trying to punish people for that curse, then you're you're in big trouble. Hmm. Uh, Landon, you want to read that italicized part there? Shall we assume the right without the voice of the Lord speaking to us and commanding us to introduce slavery into our territory? Shall we be guilty of taking our own flesh and blood, though there may be a curse upon them? Shall we introduce slavery into this young and flourishing territory? The states will look upon us as tyrants. They know that slavery is a great evil. We would that we were rid of this great evil, they say. And when they saw us voluntarily stretch forth our hands and introduce it into a territory where it does not exist, they would blush for shame. So he's pointing out that like everybody in the country knows that slavery is, is horrible. It's a great curse. It's evil. Uh, the South has it already, and they're kind of stuck with it, and they're trying to figure out how to get rid of it. And they would wish that they had a good way out of slavery there. Uh, but then in Utah, like, hey, if we take this on ourselves, if we choose to allow slavery here, uh, everyone else is going to look bad down on us. We're going to be we're we're doing this horrible thing. We're inviting it here. And it's going to cause a horrible situation. And it's, it's just embarrassing. He's, he's just like, this is going to be so embarrassing. If we allow Utah to be a slave territory, we're going to be the mock, the, 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 the butt of all of the jokes, as if they weren't already, but for another reason. Yeah, uh -huh. a much more horrible reason. Absolutely. Uh, what were they, the three pillars of? Yeah. Three evils of civilization, polygamy, and, and slavery. There were the two, tw the twin the evils. Two twin, the twin evils. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Utah wanted to get both of them in there. And th this is <laughs> this is January of 1852. They haven't admitted uh, polygamy yet to the world, 
that comes in uh, like August of 1852. And, and Orson Pratt's the one that's signed to, uh, to give the sermon uh, that announces their polygamy. Uh, uh, last part. Uh, they consider it, this is still Orson Pratt, this is the last one of Orson's. Uh, they consider it one of the worst of, the, of evils. Do we not wish to have influence among them for the sake of their salvation? We wish to find access to parts of Europe, to the learned men of Europe, and to, the, to be the means in the hands of Almighty to bring them to the knowledge of the truth we believe in. Is not this our desire and intention? Where in it, wherein can it be expedient for us to suffer slavery to come into this territory when we can avoid it? It would not be a sin to keep it out. Why, it would give us greater influence among the other nations of the earth, and by that means save them. Shall we hedge up the way before us by introducing this abominable slavery? No, my voice shall be against it from this time until the bill shall pass, if you are determined to pass it. The idea is preposterous in my mind, and I feel almost indignant when I think that we as a new territory, after we ourselves have been damned to slavery in the States, but came here to enjoy the religious liberties. For us to bind the African, because he is different from us in color, is enough to cause the angels in heaven to blush. So he acknowledges that all the enlightened parts of Europe have already recognized that slavery is evil. And if we go out there and tell them that we're practicing slavery, or we're permitting slavery in, in the church and in Utah and in Zion, uh, they're they're not going to be interested in coming out. They're like, we why would we want to go there where slavery is legal? That's that's horrible. You guys are very backwards people if you believe in slavery. Uh, so he's he's embarrassed for the church by their efforts to try to legalize slavery here. So this is afterwards, this is, they've asked Brigham Young to kind of come in and give it his last ideas on slavery and voting because they're, they want to see if uh, people may perhaps, they're, they're, whether black people and Indians can, can vote as well. Um, Rebecca, do you want to read this one? Sure, this is Brigham Young's Remarks on Slavery and Voting, um, February 5th, 1852. I am as much opposed to the principle of slavery as any man because it is an abuse. I am opposed to abusing that which God has decreed and take a blessing and make a curse of it. One of the greatest blessings to all the seed of Adam is to have the seed of Cain for servants. Um, those that they serve should use them with all the heart and the feeling as they would use their own children. And their compassion should reach over them and around them and treat them as kindly as mortal beings can be treated. And their blessings in life are greater in proportion than those who provide the bread and dinner for them. So we have kind of these contradicting statements from Brigham. So he's previously he said, as much as I believe in the Bible, I believe in slavery. So we, we, we kind of had these quotes that we've I've heard before. And then, Coming into this one is like, I'm a much as opposed to the principles of slavery as any man. And it's kind of confusing to kind of see where he's coming from, but just kind of keep the idea that he likes the servitude, but he doesn't like the slavery. And he's trying to, it's, it's like Joseph Smith would take these 
ancient ideas and and put his own spin on them and say this is the corrupt version and this is the true celestial version that I've restored. And this is I kind of get the same kind of feel that Brigham is trying to make with with slavery because slavery is evil, just like the corrupted doctrines of the apostate churches were evil. But if you change it to the right way, it'll be the one that God is and wants us to have. So I think he's trying to create the servitude idea uh, with the divine status. Sounds like the same mixed message and they seem to have everywhere. Uh, this is nothing new. It's like, we don't want slaves free, but we want servants. Uh <laughs> So they want to kind of have it both ways. Uh, we won't call it slavery, uh, but we'll have them work for us. Uh, yeah, they'll be free in 20 years, uh, but that sounds like a prison sentence uh, <laughs> more than anything in that case. All right. Uh, let's see. Part two. Um, so this is still Brigham Young. Uh the seed of Cain, that they shall uh, come in with us. Oh, so he's, it's like if, if if we were to let the black people in and have all the full rights and give them the priesthood and everything else, uh, this, this is the consequences that uh, he sees what would happen if we do that. So he says, the seed of Cain, that they shall come in with us and be partakers with us and enjoy with us the blessings, all the blessings that God has given to us. On that very day and hour, the priesthood would be taken from this church and the king and kingdom, and God leaves us to our fate. The moment we consent to take in the seed of Cain, the church must go to destructions, and we should receive the same curse that the seed of Cain received, and never more be numbered with the children of Adam until that curse be removed. Hmm. This, this is interesting because this this kind of contradicts the the ban in 78 or the things that you hear about that, because they say that, uh, you know, th that they always predicted that they would get the, the priesthood, uh, the black uh, people would get the priesthood. But here he's saying that won't happen until they remove the curse. Uh, now, to me, the curse seems to be the color of their skin, but... Perhaps the curse is is something other than that, just a punishment of God. I, I can't tell what he's trying to say the curse is. There's a lot of wiggle room for the curse. As we've been reading all of our social yeah. media with that in the Come Follow Me manual, there's been a lot on Scripture Central lately about the curse does not mean what probably those of us of a certain age were always taught what it was. It was pretty clear and now we're hearing that's not what was meant at all. How could you ever have thought that? You know, trying to basically move away from the racist past, right? And pretend that that's not what it meant or that we all misunderstood. So this is interesting along those lines. So are you talking about like the uh, the recent apologetics on the, the skin? Yes. The definition of skin? Yes. That's yeah. That's so bad. The, uh, the the church and church leaders for almost 200 years explained very clearly that skin yeah. meant skin and yeah. skin color. And only now that they realize that those ideas are horribly racist and, and disgusting, they're like, oh, well, now that we don't want to be associated with 
those racist ideas. We're going to, we're going to spend 700 pages of scholarship trying to find some way to convince us that skin doesn't really mean skin. And then we can go back to pretending that uh, God and Mormonism isn't, isn't racist. Yeah. So, instead of apologizing, right. Instead of just apologizing. Yeah, say, you were yeah. horrible. Yeah. Our leaders were horrible. This huge mistakes were made. We are sorry. That's never going to happen. They're just going to rewrite it. Yep. They're going to pretend that it never meant it. And if you, misunderstand it as then you're it's your own fault because you're just not as smart to realize that it never meant skin yeah it's it's yeah. frustrating um but yeah the uh at other places brigham said that the curse wouldn't be lifted until all the other sons of adam have been uh have received the priesthood uh so there's been things like that that have been said so there's still sons of Adam that haven't been born yet, that haven't received the priesthood. So on um, some of those logic that Brigham and think teachings that Brigham said about the curse, uh, the church shouldn't have lifted it in 78, but um, yeah. I, I'm not going to complain that they lifted it for sure. No. <laughs> and it was really difficult to lift. We did an episode last year on the lifting of the ban and the political infighting and what it took to get that lifted. And uh, Professor uh, Matt Harris, who we interviewed just a few weeks ago about the founding fathers and their religious um, leanings, he's having a book coming out in, I think, the summer, like June or July, which is really digs deep into the lifting of the priesthood ban. And I don't think it is what anybody thinks it it was. Even our little dive into it, we couldn't believe the things that we learned about the infighting, the maneuvering, and the politics, and have the vote while this guy's in the hospital, and make sure this guy's out of the country because these apostles are very racist. I mean, it it was, I want to say the S word show. It really was. It's the that it even happened. So I'm looking forward to that book of Dr. Harrison's to come out because he has a lot of original sources that he's going to go through, um, notes from meetings, agendas, things like that. And I think, I think it's going to blow the lid off everything. And then that's later this summer. So I'm sure we'll be podcasting more about that as, as the, as the summer goes on. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm excited to find out yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, Delbert Stapley was in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, he was the one that uh, yeah. chastised George yeah. Romney for supporting civil rights yeah. and sent him uh, a book. Oh, it was a, something about the curse. I, I have it in my mm -hmm. library, uh, Mormonism and the Negro or something like that. Yeah. yeah, my parents had that book. Yeah, he was horrible. Yeah. Harold B. Lee was incredibly racist. Marky Peterson, all, all of see. these men did nothing. So Harold B. Lee had died. They had, Delbert Stapley was in the hospital, and they sent Marky Peterson out yes. of the country. Had, and then had they could have the vote. And then they could have the vote. Yep. And this is, everyone, the same Marky Peterson that we did our episode <laughs> on the pamphlet, Steps to Overcoming Masturbation. He kind of had his hand in everything, no pun intended, <laughs> didn't he? Very unfortunate. Yeah. This is the people we set up as apostles and leaders, uh, the ones who wrote that pamphlet and then who uh, were bigoted and, and wouldn't even after seeing all of the arguments and all of the desire to make a change, uh, still fought against it all the way. Yeah. 
uh, I think with Marky Peterson, once they had done the vote without him, they called him up and told him everybody else is for it. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll throw in my consent with everybody else. I think but what I think, he said is, well, I won't oppose it. Okay. <laughs> well, and I, if I recall, it was Marky Peterson that then said, well, we still have to come out strongly against interracial marriage. Yeah, that, that was so kind of the on agreement. the cover of the Deseret News where they announced, you know, we have lifted the ban. Not the Deseret News. I think it was the Church News. Yeah, sorry. The Church News. We're lifting the ban. There was also um, some kind of article or statement or something about interracial marriage. So it was kind of like this little concession. I'll give you this but we still need to hammer down on this, which a lot of people don't believe that that was even a thing, but that was a huge thing. When oh, I was it's a big thing here. marriage was huge. Yeah. Brigham Young was terrified of having uh, masters have sex with their slaves. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll see some of that. I, I think I've, I've, I don't think I included in these other remarks, but we'll see it in the, the final law that uh, was put out. But yeah, he was, he was, horrified that that's one of the great evils that the southern masters would do in with their slaves he would they would beat him treat him horribly uh and then have sex with them and create offspring and that was that was the most despicable thing you could think of and of course brigham young had 57 wives that he treated that way he, he didn't need slaves to do it <laughs> <laughs> and and it, and it is gross for the the masters to to have sex with their slaves and use them that way. It, it yeah, is no, it's horrible, but but he was more upset that it was a black person and a white person. Exactly. All right. So let's see. One last part here. Uh, I will not consent for a moment to have the children of Cain rule me, nor my brethren, when it is not right. Why not say some of this thing in the Constitution? Allow me the privilege to tell it right out. It is not any of their damn business what we do. So we do not say anything about it. And it is for them, he's talking about the U.S. government or the people in the U.S. We have our own rights. We can make our own laws. Uh, so we do not say anything about it. It is for them to sanction. And it is for us to say what we will do about it. It is written right out that uh, every white male citizen may vote. So he doesn't want anybody else voting. It's just we want it right in the Constitution uh, that we only white men should be able to vote. Uh, so definitely no blacks or black people or Indian people should be voting. Uh, and and the, the first half of this is just atrocious. I'm not even going to read it. Uh, but even then, this, this bottom part... Uh, we must admit that if thousands come from the Pacific Islands, 10 or 15 thousands from Japan or from China, not one soul of them would come here and know how to vote. They would not know the first thing to do in government affairs. In Mexican territory, there is not a man there who knows how to legislate there for the benefit of the people. So again, he's got this white savior complex. Only white people are the ones capable of understanding the complexities of legislature and government. So only white men should be able to vote because the other people wouldn't know what to do with it. They're just not capable of understanding these things in Brigham's mind. Uh, 
Because so, China is probably only one of the lo longest civilizations in history. And the most advanced, yeah. <laughs> that as, shows as well as Japan. Yeah. To the extreme, exactly. His absolute ignorance to the extreme that these statements are just horrifying, actually. It's bad. It's bad. All right. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to read that bottom paragraph there? The bottom one. Okay. What the Gentiles, and again, this is Brigham Young speaking in his remarks. Uh, what the Gentiles are doing, we should not consent to do. What we are trying to do today is to make the Negro equal with us in our privileges. My voice shall be against it all the day long. I shall not consent for one moment for this body. I will call them counsel. I will not consent for one moment for you to lay a plan to bring a curse upon this people. This shall never happen while I am here. So he's very adamant right there. So I think uh, Orson Pratt's uh, arguments were swaying a lot of people. So he's saying, well, well I guess what I think uh, he's talking about the Gentiles, the, the people in the rest of the country, we're trying to get uh, black people to vote. And he's like, we, this is not what should be happening. We're not going to bring this curse upon our people. We're going to, if you if you give them privileges, we're going to be we're going to be cursed. Yeah. So uh, this these are these are the last of the debates. They go through and they write the the laws out. Uh, so these this first one is the. Acts for the Further Relief of Indian Slaves and Prisoners. So this is the, what they actually passed as a law. And there was a, a preamble that was before this that kind of explained some of their reasoning uh, for what they were trying to do. They were trying to save the people from being slaughtered and just kind of give them education. And since we're, we're Mormons, we can, we can raise them up the right way. Uh, another thing they were trying to avoid for happening is the human trafficking outside of the territory. So Brigham said, okay, well, as Mormons, obviously, we, we are the only ones capable of really implementing servitude as the way God intends it. We're the only ones that are moral enough and righteous enough that only we can be the ones that can do it the right way. So he doesn't want uh, Indians being taken out of the territory by uh, slavers in New Mexico or anywhere else. Um so these are some of the things that you're trying to put into the law here. Uh, Landon, do you want to read uh, section one there? Be, in an, be it enacted by the governor and legislative assembly of the territory of Utah that whenever any white person within any organized county of this territory shall have any Indian prisoner, child, or woman in his possession, whether by purchase or otherwise, such person shall immediately go together with such Indian prisoner, child, or woman before the select men or probate judge of the county. If in the opinion of the select men or probate judge, the person having such Indian prisoner, child, or woman, it shall be his or their duty to bind out the same by indenture for the term of not exceeding 20 years at the discretion of the judge or select men. So anybody who's going to be an indentured servant needs to be registered. Uh, so they need to, once they purchase the or trade or acquire this person, they need to go find somebody who's a authority, have them register it, 
uh, give them a time for how long they're going to do it and kind of make sure that they're going to be following the rules. Um, Rebecca, do you want to read these two sections? Mm -hmm. um, this is section three and four. Um, the select men in their respective counties are hereby authorized to obtain such Indian prisoners, children, or women and bind them to some useful avocation. The master to whom the indenture is made is hereby required to send said apprentice to school. If there be a school in the district or vicinity for the term of three months in each year. And at that time, when said Indian child shall be between the ages of seven years and 16, the master shall clothe his apprentice in a comfortable and becoming manner according to his said master's condition in life. So they're trying to set up protections, even though it's an atrocity, this entire system, they're trying to set up some protections. Is that how you see it? Yeah, he's also trying to mimic the idea of an apprenticeship. So like if you're right. going to be a blacksmith, you would go be apprenticed to uh, a, a blacksmith and, and learn the trade. Uh, and you'd come away with a good skill. So you, you're kind of, as an apprentice, you're, you're, you're beholden to the, the trade master. Uh, and he's kind of trying to set things up in the same way. He's, he's complaining that there, there aren't any kind of, uh, apprenticeships like this in Utah, and there's, he's afraid that there's going to be a lack of skilled uh, mechanics or whatever that they need. So he's like, if we if we have this kind of uh, apprenticeship that people could come in, learn the skills and the trades, uh, then they once their time is up, then they're ready to go off and and be useful in the community. So, and then also they'll also learn the culture, the, the, the right culture yeah. uh, and, and be able to fit in with, with the Mormons and, and get the salvation. And maybe eventually they'll be righteous enough that the curse will be lifted or, or whatever. Yeah. And I think President Kimball continued along those lines, even a century later, where he made yes. all the comments about white and delightsome, right? So, yeah, this is... Yeah, they had the Indian placement... So they bring the kids off the reservation and place them in Mormon households. Mm -hmm. I had a friend whose uh, mom went through that. Uh, and yeah. All right. So the the laws for the, there were only four sections for the Indians. There was a lot more for the, the black people. So this is an act in, in relation to service. Brigham Young had uh, change it originally said slavery and, and Brigham Young had him change that to to service. So that was like an, in an early draft when they were first considering mm -hmm. slavery. Um, so section one, uh, be it enacted by the governor and legislative assembly of the territory of Utah that any person or persons coming into this territory and bringing with them servants justly bound to them, arising from a special contract or otherwise. Said person or persons shall be entitled to such service or labor by the laws of this territory, provided that he shall file in the office of the probate court written and satisfactory evidence that such service or labor is due. So he wants people to, who own slaves to be able to come into Utah and not automatically lose their, their slaves. So if, if they manage to baptize somebody from the South and they've got slaves, they can still come to Utah and they don't have to worry about losing 
their slaves, but they do need to provide proof that the first uh, the people are legally slaves. Uh, section two, that the probate court shall receive as evidence any contract properly attested in writing or any well-approved agreement wherein the party or parties serving have received or are to receive reasonable compensation for his, her, or their services, provided that no contract shall bind the heirs of the servant or servants to service longer than the period that will satisfy the debt do his, her, or their master or mistress's mistress. So with the with the Indians, they had like a 20-year limit. Uh, here, it doesn't sound like they have that same kind of limit. It's like uh, if you, however long that you've got this person that's in contract for, they'll, that you'll still be uh, a contra, uh, an indentured servant here in Utah. Uh, but it wouldn't apply to their children. So eventually they'll be, the, it wouldn't be multi-generational uh, slavery. And that was something that they... Uh, had here so this is i've got a, a draft version and the, the final version and of the draft version they had uh that the servant service servitude would go on to their children until the curse of servitude is taken from the descendants of canaan so they originally wanted to have it go on and on multi-generational uh they were able to argue that out and once they're uh, servitude is up. It wouldn't. It, they would be free, and then their, their children would also be free. Um, when I was on a mission, we had to ask people to give up their coffee in order for them to join the church. Uh, uh, evidently, you didn't have to give up your servants or your slaves to join the church, uh, which would seem a far more reasonable request uh, uh, to make. Uh, we also asked people that they had to get married if they uh, were living together and not married. Uh, there was a requirement for them, but it seems that in this situation, there was no requirement uh, to, to give up human trafficking. That seemed to be acceptable. Yeah. Um, they, they tried to put in some uh, protections for the servants, uh, I think, in the next page here. So we're, we're so those are the rules on how to bring someone in and and kind of how that'll go, and then I think the rest of these are going to be protections for uh, on how they need to be treated and what will happen if you if you violate any of those. Uh, Landon, do you want to read section four? That if any master or mistress shall have sexual or carnal intercourse with his or her servant or servants of the African race. He or she shall forfeit all claim to said servant or servants to the commonwealth. And if any white person shall be guilty of sexual intercourse with any of the African race, they shall be subject on conviction thereof to a fine of not exceeding $1,000 nor less than 500 to the use of the territory and imprisonment not exceeding three years. So it seems that in that second part that uh, if any white person guilty uh, has sex with any African doesn't matter if they're a slave or or your relation to them then you're going to be going to jail and paying five hundred to a thousand dollars so it's it's good that they didn't that they would have freedom if somewhere to violate the their, their servants but that second part is if you have consenting adults, 
Yeah. Um, Rebecca, you want to read section five there? Yes, section five. It shall be the duty of masters or mistresses to provide for his, her, or their servants comfortable habitations, clothing, bedding, sufficient food, and recreation. And it shall be the duty of the servant in return, therefore, to labor faithfully all reasonable hours and do such service with fidelity as may be required by his or her master or mistress. Don't explain a penalty there for that one. Some of the other ones will have penalties if you're abusing your servant that they, they become free immediately. Uh, if you have a an order and they don't follow it and there's no penalty, it's, it doesn't really do much. But anyway, uh, section six. It shall be the duty of the master to correct and punish the servant in a reasonable manner when it may be necessary, being guided by prudence and humanity, and if he shall be guilty of cruelty or abuse or neglect to feed, clothe, or shelter his servants in a proper manner, the probate court may declare the contract between the master and servant or servants void according to the provisions of the fourth section of this act. So if you're abusive to your servants, then they will be taken away from you. You'll lose your right to have them. So that's an improvement over what they had in the South. Uh, let's see. Let's look at Section 8. Landon, do you want to read Section 8 and 9? Any person transferring a servant or servants contrary to the provisions of this act or taking one out of the territory contrary to his or her will, except by decree of court in case of a fugitive from labor, shall be on conviction thereof, subject to a fine not exceeding $5,000 and imprisonment not exceeding five years or both at the discretion of the court and shall forfeit all claims to the services of such servant or servants as provided in the fourth section of this act. Uh, section 9, it shall further be the duty of all masters or mistresses to send their servant or servants to school not less than 18 months between the ages of six years and 20 years. So he wants them to be educated, at least a little bit. Um, but the, the Section 8 there was meant to prevent trafficking of slaves outside of Utah. So they don't want anybody coming in, uh, taking people, and then leaving the, the territory uh, without permission. So let's see. So I think that's all of the act on black slavery, servitude. So that's, that's kind of where they finished off with that. Um, then in 1856, four years later, they're going through and trying to gain statehood again. And again, slavery comes up as a topic. And uh, they're trying to figure out how they want to enter the, the nation. Again, they, there's some people in the South uh, are wanting to get more slave states in the nation because they're feeling kind of outnumbered. So they're they're trying to convince uh, Utah to come in as a slave state. Brigham said he would refuse to have Utah enter as a slave state. But we have Orson Pratt again, a breath of fresh air kind of guy, coming in and telling them we don't want uh, slavery here. So uh, Rebecca, will you read mm -hmm. his argument here? Uh, this is the 1856 bid for statehood, and these are the words of Orson Pratt. He says. And there may be judgments that we have no right to seek. When we have no proof that the Africans are the descendants of old Cain, who was cursed, 
And even if we have that evidence, we have not been ordered to inflict that curse upon that race. Consequently, it is no argument for me to establish slavery because those persons are to be slaves. It is no evidence that we are any different or that we have any right to do it. And I very much doubt that if this nation that has executed this curse upon the descendants of Ham, I very much doubt if they will not be brought into judgment, the same judgment they executed will be the judgment pronounced upon them. So he's really calling them out, isn't he? <laughs> it's it's interesting because Brigham Young is very much declaring that all black people are descendants of Cain and they're cursed. And Orson's saying, yeah, we don't really have any proof that these are descendants of old Cain. We don't really know that for sure. It's kind of the, the story that we go by, but uh, we don't really know that for sure. And if we don't know that for sure, do we really want to be inflicting this curse on them because if you do you're going to be judged for how you're doing this so uh so this next part uh we're going to have uh brigham yeah this these are some meeting notes uh so brigham is telling the, the council that he doesn't want to have uh slavery in the in part of their bid for statehood and then george a. Smith comes into the meeting. He's a little bit late and he missed the introduction. So Brigham Young's going to kind of catch him up on this, what they were saying. But then they they had votes and there were some people uh, when they were voting on the state constitution that were very adamant on uh, getting their votes for slavery or against slavery. And they wanted to make sure that they had their names for their vote. So it wasn't an anonymous vote. They're like, I want it down on the record that I voted this way. Uh, and so the people that were really for slavery wanted their vote recorded that they were for slavery and those that were against it wanted against it. So I think there were five people that voted for slavery. Uh, George A. Smith was the only apostle on this legislature that uh, was for slavery. So Brigham Young kind of calls him out on it. Says, Brigham Young, uh, Brother George, it is said that you believe this ought to be a slave state, George. If I had to make a constitution, I would adopt it as a slave state. Brigham, I was just telling the brethren that if that was your opinion, I did not want you to go. And I think he's talking about going to D.C. to represent their bid for statehood in this uh, national government. If men bring slaves, they must not sell them, but treat them well and send them to school. I don't want one word about it in the Constitution. Don't mouth it one way or the other. I wish you to define your position on slavery. Uh, so George does. Then Brigham comes in afterwards and says, It is a curse to any community to have them slaves in it. Keep the blacks out and let the white men do the work and the people will rise. So he doesn't want slaves at all. It doesn't it seems like he's kind of changing his ideas on servitude either. He doesn't want he doesn't want the black people in Utah. He doesn't want them as far away. He doesn't want to deal with them. Uh, we won't have them here. I wish we were rid of them. I would not feed and clothe the best black man for what he can do. Let them stay in the South or buy a place in Missouri to accommodate the slaves and have the black rule and be done with it. As for the whole dispute, that, oh, you know, I need to go in there. Um, so, yeah, so he, he doesn't want the black people in Utah at all. Doesn't want Utah to be a slave state. 
doesn't want to have any kind of slavery. The servitude, I guess, is still good for it. Um, but uh, you'd rather not have that problem and deal with it at all. So they do go in, they, they make their bid for statehood uh, as a, a free state. Uh, I guess they still have the servitude issue. But uh, they, they're denied anyway, so they don't have any of that to deal with. But they, well, they, they have that other twin. Uh, they have maybe not slavery, but they still have polygamy. So yes, they have. They had, they had a half slavery with servitude and yes. polygamy. So these are some statistics I found in that article that you uh, mentioned at the beginning. Here and it says that uh, there were about a hundred black pioneers that appear in reliable, reliable documents as being enslaved in the Utah Territory. Uh, so there, there wasn't a whole lot of them, but there were enough to to show up and and be noticed. So it, it wasn't a huge. I guess Brigham was pretty good at keeping them out of the the state. And then for the Indians, we've found about four hundred children by name. Uh, about a fourth of them died before the age of twenty, since they had very low levels of immunity to uh, the disease that the uh, white people brought in. Uh, the breakdown of 60% were purchased from Indian captors. So other Indian tribes had captured them and were trading or selling them. 18% were given away by relatives. So sometimes like I think I think the Paiutes were very poor and were sometimes they were desperate for food and they thought that if they could trade some of their children for uh, some food or supplies, they would be better off. And then the Indians would, their children would have a better life with the, at least they'd have more uh, food and, and clothes and stuff uh, if they were taken by them. 14% uh, were captured in battles, raids, uh, captured in battles or raids from battle survivors. So that's the breakdown of the Indians that were there. So, uh, through all of this, we come to our Juneteenth uh, episode. So the United States, uh, June 20th, I think 1862. I missed the year on that one. Uh, President Abraham Lincoln signed into law an act to secure freedom to all persons within the territories of the United States. And in doing so, he ostensibly freed Utah's remaining roughly 35 enslaved people. On July 2nd, the church, so it took him uh, just a couple of weeks to report on it. Uh, the church-owned Deseret News reported the fact without elaboration. There was no banner headline or extensive story about what the law's passage meant to Utah's enslavers or to those whom they had enslaved. There were no instructions that accompanied the news. Latter-day Saint leaders or government officials did not tell Utah's enslavers to emancipate their slaves or in any way establish guidelines or expectations. There was no sense of relief or feelings of joy expressed over the legal end of slavery in the territory. In fact, the announcement of the Deseret News would have been easy to miss. It was published on page four, tucked into the middle column titled From Washington, with no fanfare, no commentary whatsoever. Nothing drew the reader's eye to the column, and no sense of adulation accompanied the report. The paper simply informed its readers that the president approved the bill prohibiting slavery in the territories, and that was it. And that was paragraph was taken from this abominable slavery. So they 
Abraham Lincoln freed them all, but the news about that freedom wasn't very well reported and nobody, we don't really know how it ended. Uh, there's no real documentation on how, if people were set free or what happened to the people who were still in servitude, at least not until after the end of the civil war. So it happened, but we don't really know what they did about it or how it impacted anyone's lives. So it was a big deal that kind of fizzled out and we don't know what happened. But that is the end of servitude in Utah. It reminds me, it makes me think oh, of Jane Manning, right? The word servitude, because, you know, she, of course, had been a servant in Joseph Smith's household. And then she came west to Utah and she begged, I think, several generations of um, church presidents to have her work done, to be able to be sealed. And they finally decided she could be a servitor. And they figured out a way to seal her by proxy because she couldn't go into the temple as a servitor to Joseph Smith's family for all of eternity. So servitude, servitor. I think that was just what was happening in Utah at the time. Yeah. Yeah, that whole that Jane Manning story is 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 pretty yucky too. Yeah. yeah so do, do we know how many total people were enslaved uh, in Utah? I know you said something about 400. Uh, there by the Indians. end, there was what, 32. So it doesn't sound like it was a, Enormous number. No, they were. They said there were a hundred black people that were enslaved or servants, and then four hundred Indians. That's about so. About five hundred people total were impacted by this. Um. Yeah. Was was Indian slavery a, a, a thing in other territories of the state? Uh, I, I, you never hear about Indian uh, slavery. I, I've heard of Indians trading. Uh, with other tribes and making uh, servants uh, or making slaves out of them. But I, I I don't know that I've heard of white people making slaves out of out of them. Now, I have heard of, you know, trappers marrying Indians that became, you know, their property through being a wife or whatever, but not not necessarily a slave. Was that common anywhere else? Uh, the, the very first uh, Don Pedro guy was going to take those people to uh, the New Mexico area, I believe is what it was. Yeah, but New Mexico would have been Mexican territory at the time, right? Uh, or did I they think, lose? I think they New lost Mexico it all part of the... Uh, when In the Mexican-American War? Yeah, I think that was all ceded to America then. Uh, I don't think Mexico had slavery at any time. Hmm. Uh, but I, I, there's a chance I'm wrong on that, but I don't think that's, I don't think they did. But so I think some, the, but uh, Brigham was complaining uh, in that Don Pedro case uh, that they would be made slaves to masters who weren't much better than they were. So he considered the Mexican people just slightly better than the, the Native Americans. Definitely a sad Sad time, and I believe Brigham Young himself uh, had uh, servant, black servants uh, in his uh, employ. Uh, when we went to his winter home in 
St. George, they talked about that uh, there was a woman that stayed uh, there with him that was a, a black woman who was basically his servant. Yeah, and I think he had a Indian girl as well that he said he treated as a daughter, which he had so many kids and wives that that probably wasn't that great anyway. <laughs> That has no meaning at all. What's yes. wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so So, how recently again did you say that these debates? I mean, the first time I came across them, I think, was just in the summer. I think there was an article. So, this is very recent that these have been published, that people have access to them. Is that right? yeah, I think the uh, Jean, I think that was her name, uh, had only transcribed them, I think, within the last 10 years, is what I seem Okay. to recall. So people were aware of the debates between the two men, but not necessarily the rhetoric, uh, the specific rhetoric that was in the debate. Because we remember talking to our friend, Dr. John Lendwell, about when he, do you remember this, Landon? He was in at BYU and he was in the special collections and he found a call number of a book he wanted to look at. And it said debates between Orson Hyde. Hyde or Pratt. Now I can't even remember from the beginning of the program. Pratt, <laughs> Pratt and Brigham Young. And he, it was in a locked portion of the special collections stacks. And he put in a request. And then he went back a little bit later and the book was just gone. So I wonder if it was something that, you know, people were aware of, scholars, but just obviously would not want this to get out. I mean, we only read small portions and it was very hard to read and very hard to hear and there's more to it that we did not read that really shows you who Brigham Young was and I can see that them wanting to keep it on the down low for a very long time Yeah, and, and a lot of it was still in, in shorthand, so yeah some of it had been transcribed into to long form. Uh, so a lot of this stuff has, has only just recently been made available. So I'm glad the church is opening up more things. I wish they would open up even more. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that they haven't released yet, but... Were, were these debates limited to the legislature or were did the newspaper cover them and, and publish the debates or was it just limited to uh, a small group? Um, well, we've, we've known the, the Brigham Young, uh, argue, some of the talks that Brigham Young gave, I don't know that all of them were done, um, but I, I've seen those being published for a long time. Uh, so uh, I don't know if they were published in the paper or not. Uh, certainly the ones that didn't get transcribed wouldn't have been uh, published. So I, I I don't know the story on that one. I know some of the there were some other uh, things that showed up in the paper uh, later throughout the year about blacks in the priesthood um, and things along the, that line. Uh, more if more publishing the doctrine that Brigham Young was laying down. Um, Well, again, we see what should have been the leaders of, you know, the the Lord's leaders who should be receiving uh, revelation on the correct way to to treat people. And, and uh, in one sense, you know, they were trying to make it better than they were as slaves, but they never saw any level for equality. 
among them. That was for other people to to fight that fight, uh, while the church leaders kind of stood in a middle ground uh, and waited to see what the result would be. In fact, they <laughs> pretty much stepped outside the entire civil war and watched from outside until it was decided before they, uh, you know, even made this pronouncement. And it wasn't the church that made the pronouncement to release the slaves. It was the president of, of the United States that did that. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a sermon by Brigham. Uh, I think it was 1864, maybe as late as 1865, but it was something I found when I was still in the church, but he was declaring that uh, was, the whole civil war was uh, a folly to waste good human lives fighting over the idea of slavery because the, the mankind didn't have the ability to uh, overcome this curse. It wasn't their responsibility. They, and they could fight, they'd lose all these lives over it, but it still wouldn't take the curse off of black people until God saw fit to, to take it away himself. So when I was reading this, I just kind of put it on my shelf. I'm like, this sounds like a false prophecy from Brigham because sure enough that uh, civil war was fought and black people were freed and slavery came to an end and he said it wouldn't. So I, I kind of put that on my shelf and then later after studying polygamy and everything, and I pulled that back out and I'm like, uh, yep, yep. They don't really have the powers that they claim to have. Nope. And I would say always, Almost always. No, I think always on the wrong side of history, <laughs> kicking and screaming finally in the 70s to changing everything when the whole world was changing around them in no way ahead or forward thinking at all. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, that's what I was going to say. There's a lot of churches that uh, that supported uh, the uh the blacks as they would flee to the north and become free men and they'd help them to become free citizens and to work uh, as free men in the north. Uh, where is that in, in in LDS history? You know, the LDS hold themselves up and they want to say, oh, Joseph Smith ran for president on an anti-slavery uh, platform. But here, when they had the power, they were the leaders, they were the political leaders in this territory, and they didn't stand up for equality. Uh, and so you can't make the argument that uh, the church leaders were anti-slavery. When they had the chance, they didn't, they didn't enact it. They could have freed anyone coming into the Utah Territory and made them free and equal without having to abolish slavery and step into that mess. They could have just said, in this state, all men are children of God and all will be treated equally. But that's not what they did. Yeah. Uh, one thing that frustrates me is that uh, as I looked at their how they were dragged, kicking and screaming through all of these social changes, uh, if they had the powers that they claimed to have, they would be leading humanity. People, they would be the light for the world showing the whole world how to live and, and how to love everybody and how to treat everybody kindly. And they, and all the social issues, they've been on the wrong side and they only go in after everyone else in the world has accepted them 
they're like the last ones to finally agree that, okay, we'll finally treat these people as though they were actually children of God. Yeah. And they're always the last one when it is something that is threatening their well-being, their tax exempt status or mm-hmm. money or something like that. Statehood. There's always a threat against the organization itself and then they'll make the changes, but it has to be a substantial threat before they'll do it. They just play it as long as they can. And I think we've seen that over and over. So, so do you yeah. think we've covered this topic, everybody? <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I, I yeah. didn't know where it had come from. I'd always heard that Utah was a uh, slave state, and it looks like that was not true. They weren't, uh, Utah did, was not trying to become a slave state. They were allowing this uh, indentured servitude. Uh, that had certain guidelines and certain cares and certain protections. Uh, but uh, uh, from this, I wouldn't say they were a slave state. But then again, they certainly didn't seem to stand up for freedom of all people of all races either. So, again, fence sitters until the until it was decided by somebody else. Yeah, yeah yep. I think that's it. Any final thoughts, Ron? <laughs> Uh, that's it. I, I, there was a lot that I didn't understand about how slavery and servitude was, went on in Utah. And, and I thought that, uh, this would be a great way to help everybody understand the, the issues and the thoughts behind the people that were trying to make these laws and where they were at and, and what they decided on. So, uh, hopefully this will help everyone else come to better understanding. And, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, the book that comes out, uh, this abominable slavery. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of uh, dialogue. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of, like you said, books coming out. And we appreciate you, Ron, um, digging through all this because, I mean, as you noticed, probably when we were reading, this is very difficult to read through. There are words and things that are said that none of us would ever say, you know, that we're reading. But I think it's important that we understand our history. We understand what it is so it isn't lost. And we understand these are the words of Brigham Young. (laughs) These are the words of one of our founding prophets of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So understand who he was, understand his thought process, and then do with that uh, what you will. So it was very difficult, uh, but important, I think, is the bottom line. Is that how you guys see it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was it was ugly going ugly. through this. And, yeah, it was yeah. ugly and it was difficult. And we'll probably put a lot of trigger warnings in our show notes. And, and we'll also link to all the other websites that we talked about, like the, abom- the abominable slavery, because that has so many great resources there just to understand this era. And it's important to understand so it does not get lost. And of course, never repeated. So that is kind of the purpose of our podcast um, today. So, all right, well, please comment. I'm sure a lot of you will. There was a lot said. There was a lot that we went through. Most of it was new information to me. I did not understand what the debates had been or like you, I had thought it was a slave state or the Brigham Young had wanted to make it a slave state. So this was really interesting and it actually, I want to learn more. So I am gonna go look on some of those websites and read some of those articles um, in more depth that we're gonna put in the, to the show notes. So. Please comment and let us know what you think. Um, also, like and subscribe to Mormonish Podcast. And if you'd like to be made aware of when new episodes come out, you can hit the notification bell. If you would like to help financially support Mormonish Podcast, you can find links in the show notes always to PayPal or Venmo or mormonishpodcast.org where you can help support the podcast. And we certainly appreciate everybody that does. It means quite 
a lot to us. So thank you everybody for hanging in there with us. Again, it was a very difficult topic, but I think it was extremely important. And we'd like to thank Ron for all of his research. I can't even imagine the things that you had to read through that you didn't choose to put on a slide. So <laughs> thank you for sifting through all of that for us. And we'll have you back on again because we love Masterpiece and everything that he brings to us as far as helping us understand the past. So thank you again, everybody from Mormonish. We will see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.